Well, I'm guessing that most of you, uh, when you read the title of tonight's sermon, you immediately thought one thing, um, and that, of course, is the Princess Bride. Um, however, if you are like my friend Coleman Thrash, who I found out a couple of weeks ago has never seen the movie, um, let me explain. Uh, one of the main characters in the movie is a Sicilian uh, proud Sicilian criminal by the name of Vizzini. And Vizzini has a very high opinion of himself and his intellect. Uh, so much so that um, in his little world, uh, no one should be able to best him or thwart his um, ingenious plans. And so anytime or every time something happens contrary to what he thinks should happen or what he believes is going to happen or he thinks should happen, uh, his response is inconceivable. But after a while, it becomes blatantly obvious that uh, it is conceivable <laughs> that uh, his plans are in fact thwartable. And on one occasion... When uh, at one point after he says it again, Ingo Montoya replies, you keep using that word, and I do not think it means what you think it means. You see, when something is inconceivable, it's, it's something our minds can't comprehend. When something's inconceivable, we can't wrap our heads around it. It's impossible to imagine. For example, there are things about God that are inconceivable. We cannot get our heads around His three-in-oneness. We cannot get our minds around His eternality. We have a hard time comprehending His eternal decrees. Right? We, we have trouble with uh, him providentially working through both primary and secondary causes. We struggle with, with his sovereignty and our responsibility in our salvation. And that, that, those are his grace. He, we, we could spend a considerable amount of time listing those, but by, by his grace, he has condescended. And He has revealed Himself to us, only though in, in part. So while we may not know Him exhaustively, the truth is we do know Him truly and sufficiently by faith. And of course, the way He has revealed Himself to us is in the person of Christ. But even the how and why of that the revelation is, is inconceivable. Some of those things are inconceivable. Right? They're, they're difficult to comprehend. How can God take on flesh? How can two natures, one human and one divine, be united without intermingling in one person? How can a virgin conceive a child by the Holy Spirit? And why would God, or why would His predetermined plan be for the child to come in that way, grow into an adult, 
only to suffer and die at the hands of lawless men. It's all inconceivable. Well, tonight we're going to see that though these things are inconceivable, we must embrace them as true, and that we do so by faith, faith that He has given to us. Our outline looks like this. You'll find it in the back of your bulletin in the normal place. We're going to look at the unassuming circumstances, the unexpected encounter, and an unmeasurable faith. The unassuming circumstances, the unexpected encounter, and an unmeasurable faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue. Father, by your Spirit, please grant power to the preaching of your Word. Grant us the ability to appraise and apprehend your truth, awaken our attention, open our sorrows, convict us, and challenge us. And then I pray that you would please refresh us and encourage us and comfort us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I am, as always, weak and needy for this task to which you've called me, and so I'm in need of your Spirit and and your grace that I might do something good for you this evening. Allow me to communicate clearly and with grace and with fluency and fervency for the sake of Christ and His church. And I pray these things in His name. Amen. Well, Mary was somewhere in the area of 14 to 15 years old. And she lived in a male-dominated culture, but not only a male-dominated culture, she lived in a woman-demeaning culture. And when you add to that the the fact that she lived in Nazareth Nazareth of Galilee that had a reputation of not producing anything or anyone good, you have what could have been, from a human perspective, the most unlikely of candidates for God to use and for an angel to speak to, it was inconceivable. Mary had no education, she had no credentials, she had no reputation, and other than the fact that she was already betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph who was from the line of David, there really wasn't anything about her that would generate any kind of interest in her or cause anyone to be Uh, talking about her in any way. And what's interesting is, though her, well, her life screamed of insignificance and obscurity, and you and I can identify with her. All of us identify with her. And it's in the midst, it's in the midst of those circumstances, those, those unassuming circumstances that Mary had this unexpected encounter. For the second time in six months, Gabriel has come to announce a birth. And in verse 28, he says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, considering the age, if this had been something that happened to Marin, or maybe to Lucy, or to Ami, or maybe Sarah, it would have been, maybe would have heard something like, Hello, you've been chosen by God, and You're a recipient of His grace, and He wants wants you to know that He's with you. And verse 29 says that Mary was obviously troubled and perplexed, as you can imagine, as we all would have been. But notice, fear isn't mentioned. But we know it's present because Gabriel said, do not be afraid. But it seems to be a different kind of fear. It doesn't seem to be a fear of judgment. It doesn't seem to be a fear of His appearance but it's a fear of the unknown due to a lack of comprehension, a lack of understanding, 
a lack of knowledge maybe. And Luke says she was troubled at the saying and was trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So it seems that her, her curiosity or her concern for what he said was so intense that it did bring about fear. And so in verse 30, Gabriel begins to explain. And he says, Mary, you found favor with God. And behold, you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary heard that she was blessed by God, that she had been chosen by Him to be a recipient of His favor and His grace. She hadn't merited or earned that in any way by definition of grace. It wasn't due to her status or her position. It wasn't due to any prestige that she may have had because she didn't have any of any kind. It was simply due to His sovereign choice of her and to the praise of His glorious grace. And by that grace, she was going to bear a son. And her son would be named Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. So he would be the fulfillment of the prophecy we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, and he would also be a fulfillment of the promise God had made to David in 2 Samuel 7 that, that uh, Aaron referred to as we prepared for worship. And it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring after you. You shall come from your body, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to, uh, him, uh, to him a father, or sorry, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He would be, as we walk through the study of um, Luke over that year and a half, we, we know that Jesus was the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah. He was coming to rule as king. He would rule over his people, and that rule and reign would be eternal. And Mary's response is very, very telling. In verse 34, she said, how will this be? For I'm a virgin. In other words, inconceivable. I can't comprehend this. Her question didn't arise out of doubt. It didn't arise out of even innocence or ignorance. She understood the facts of life, and she simply wanted to know how this was going to happen because she was a virgin. It was clear that she was engaged, and it was clear that she would be marrying Joseph within a year or so, and, and she believed that God meant through this angel that things were going to happen imminently, right away. And so this was going to happen before they were married. It was going to happen before they were intimate. As a matter of fact, she hadn't been intimate with any man. And her question, therefore, was logical. It was reasonable because it was biological. How is this going to happen? She obviously believed God and His Word and was therefore not in need of anything to convince her that it would take place. She simply was curious. Lord, how are you going to do it? How is this going to take place? And Gabriel graciously answered. 
He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel said she'd conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit that would rest upon her, that would protect her, that would be present with her. In other words, the same Spirit that was present in the beginning at creation, that was hovering over the face of the waters when God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. The spirit that was there when God created man in his image out of the dust of the ground. The same spirit that that enveloped the tabernacle in Exodus with the Shekinah glory of God. That same spirit would be present with her and create life within her through his creative power and activity. So while the birth would be natural, the conception would be supernatural. And this is as to be. This dramatic and supernatural conception of Jesus was necessary for Him to be both God and man. As questions 21 and 22 of the Shorter Catechism affirm, the, questions, uh, the question is, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? And the answer is, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. But question 22 says, and how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? And the answer is, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born to her yet without sin. The conception of the Holy Spirit maintained His deity while the birth by Mary, a woman, maintained his humanity. And this is why Gabriel said he would be called holy. Through this creative, supernatural act of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would be free from the corruption of the sin and guilt of Adam, as well as set apart for holy use so that he might intervene on behalf of those who were imputed with and had inherited the sin and guilt of Adam. He would be able to intercede on behalf of those who were corrupt and helpless. So the bottom line is salvation rises and falls upon this dramatic conception, the virgin birth and the incarnation of the Son of God. And it's also important to notice that Gabriel doesn't stop there. He gives her a sign, and she didn't ask for one, but he gives her one anyway. He wanted to assure her that everything he said was, in fact, true. He wanted her to be able to rest. And in verse 36, he said, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. In other words, if God can bring life from a barren womb... God can bring life from a virgin womb. Nothing is out of His reach. Nothing is out of His purview. And that was enough for Mary. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, look at her response. Look at the unmeasurable faith. She had asked her one question, and the answer sufficed. It wasn't something that she was going to be able to explain to others. She wasn't going to be able to be clear enough Right? When the inquisitive looks came, it was going to be inconceivable. 
It was going to be inconceivable to them just as it was for her. It wasn't something that people were going to get their heads around and, and, and accept at face value when she began to show during her second trimester. As a matter of fact, when she began to show, the questions were going to come, but the pointing fingers were going to come, the accusations were going to come, the judgmental looks were going to come, calls for stoning were going to begin. No matter how thoroughly, no matter how clearly she explained it, no one was ever going to believe that she had never been intimate with a man. Joseph would not believe it, that she had remained faithful and pure. They all understood biology, just like she did. The visible evidence would point to impurity and infidelity. So to give birth to the one who would be called holy, she herself would have to be called unholy and immoral and impure and unfaithful, a fornicator and a liar. Her condition would cost her probably cost her family and her husband-to-be a lot, but it was going to cost her everything, right? Her home, her reputation, her dreams, her aspirations. So if she would have been the, the least bit hesitant, had she just looked at Gabriel and said, is there any other way? Can you not go back? and talk to God on my behalf and provide another solution. There's no one in this room who would blame her. We'd understand. But she didn't do it. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, as you wish. as you wish. The Lord had spoken and she had believed. She didn't just believe Him, she submitted herself to Him without hesitation. He was her master. She was her servant. She was actually a slave. The word there is doulos. It was the epitome of childlike faith. Mary proved she was walking by faith and not by, by sight, based upon her obedience, even as a young teenager. She was willing to give all that she had presently and all that she could possibly have in the future for the sake of the Lord. So what do we take away from this inconceivable story? There are a lot of profound and deeply theological and practical points that we could come up with and, and be here for quite a while, but I just want us to look at three. The first is this, God can and will use who He wants, when He wants, where He wants, how He wants to do what he wants. And that's all one, okay? Um, I'm sure we've all, at one time or another, had a particular plan, right? A plan for something. 
And we thought that God could and would follow along and follow that particular plan only to see that that plan never comes about. It never comes to fruition. But when things don't go according to our plans, the, the answer isn't to throw up our hands in frustration or to give up or to believe that somehow that the Lord has forsaken us in some way and left us to ourselves. We need to remember that He is always at work according to His plan. And we need to remember that we need to rest in the fact that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? But do so in His time. Do so according to the counsel of His will. Do so for His glory and for our good. And we've also probably all at one time or another have counted ourselves as, uh, counted ourselves out as far as God is concerned because we recognize our lowliness. And it could have been our lowliness could be due to our sin, it could be due to our lack of faith, it could be due to weakness, and it could even be due to our age. But the answer, again, has never been and never will be to deny our lowliness and to somehow attempt to elevate ourselves to a position that we shouldn't be or cannot be, some place of acceptability in God's sight, or, or listen, very, very, wait for a certain age. Children, you uh, teenagers, listen very, very carefully. This story tells us that you can be used by God right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be adults. And that's because the answer has been and always will be that God became lowly Himself in the person of Christ. And by becoming lowly, He came to reach out to the lowly. He came to save the lowly. He came to use the lowly. And that includes you again right now. And brothers and sisters, there are things about God that are inconceivable. We've mentioned some of those. However, the bottom line is, the truth is that there is nothing impossible with God. And I want you to listen to these words of Philip Reich, and you've, if you have been with us before, you've heard these, but they're much better than anything that I could ever, I could ever say. Very important words. He says, is there anything in your life that seems impossible? Perhaps it seems impossible for your great sin to be forgiven, especially after all the times you've tried not to do it again but failed. Perhaps it seems impossible for your family to be restored after all the heartbreak and for joy to come again. Maybe it seems impossible for your physical and financial needs to be met or for your work or your studies or your ministry to be successful. It may seem impossible to endure the suffering that comes into your life. It may seem impossible for someone you love to come to Christ. But the Bible says nothing will be impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. 
There is no sin he cannot forgive. No relationship he cannot reconcile. No problem he cannot resolve. No need he cannot meet. No ministry he cannot bless. No grief he cannot comfort. No life he cannot reclaim. No sinner he cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. Secondly, God's inconceivability should not lead to our rejection of Him, but to our submission to Him. Should not lead to our rejection of Him, it should lead to our submission to Him. Faith is more than intellectual assent to certain truths, right? Faith is a matter of trust. There are uh, are obvious questions about God and His will and the outworking of His plan, and, and there are answers which do not satisfy us. Let's be honest. There are some answers that are partial. Uh, there are some questions that don't have answers that, that, we, can, that we can share. But that, that should not surprise us. That should not cause us to fall off track. James Anderson once wrote, unanswered questions are not refutations. The incompleteness of our knowledge is not a reason to doubt what we already know. We have we've seen tonight a young girl who was walking by faith and not by sight, and, and her submission was evidence of her belief in the Lord and His Word. And despite the inconceivability of the plan, Despite the cost that it was, going to, it was going to put upon her, she submitted herself to it and more specifically to the Lord. And doing so, she entrusted herself and her family and her reputation, her future marital plans, everything to, to the Lord. She refused to hold on to her plans and, and maintain her own comfort, and she was, she was willing and content to be and to possess and to experience what God desired her to be, to experience and to possess. And of course, brothers and sisters, we, well, the same should be said of us because you and I, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not our own. We've been bought with the imperishable blood of, of Christ. He has paid a valuable price for us. Therefore, in the words of Paul, we should count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. For His sake, we should be willing to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that we may gain Christ and be found in Him. We should also, in, in the words of Paul again, we should be content. We should know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, we should learn the secret of being a secret of facing plenty and hunger, of being in abundance and, and in need. And of course, that's, that's only possible through Christ who gives us strength. That is the appropriate use of that verse. So may we submit ourselves to the Lord and who He desires us to be. May we submit ourselves to the Lord and what He 
believes we should possess and what he believes we should experience, regardless of the cost. We should take up our cross and follow him daily. He alone is worthy because he is our king. He alone is worthy because he is reigning, and his kingship and his reign will last forever and ever. Finally, we must thank and praise the Lord for our salvation and rest in the Lord for the salvation of others. The gospel that we preach is inconceivable because it was created in the mind of God. And we know that because had it been devised by or created in the mind of man, it would have exalted us. It would have promoted us. It would have promoted our lack of need. It would have promoted our ability to earn or merit our salvation. Because all inventions of men do. It would have stroked our egos and it would have tickled our ears. But the gospel of the Bible that we preach speaks of our sin and separation from God. It speaks of our lack of goodness and our lack of righteousness. It speaks of our desperation and our inability to save ourselves or others and our complete and utter dependence upon a a Savior outside of ourselves. The gospel we, we preach exalts Christ. Nothing to be earned, nothing to be added, nothing to be subtracted, and nothing to be substituted in any way. We are proponents of our thorough corruption, of our impotence and our incompetence and our insufficiency, and of Christ's complete, all-sufficient work on our behalf, a full and final work for the salvation of all who would repent and believe on Christ and call upon His name. But the gospel is also inconceivable due due to the unregenerative mind of natural man that is a result of the fall. Again, in the words of James Anderson, Scripture teaches that the root of unbelief is not a mind that lacks intellectual information, but a heart in need of spiritual transformation. The minds and hearts of men and women and boys and girls must be renewed by the Holy Spirit. We must be regenerated. We must be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life and given the gift of faith to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Salvation is inconceivable. He goes on to say, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thanks be to God that we've been born again. Thanks be to God that we've been born again by the Spirit. It is God who has enlightened our hearts and our minds, again in the words of Paul to the Ephesians, in order that we may know what is the hope to which He has called us, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Brothers and sisters, let us not only respond in praise and thanksgiving for our own salvation for what God has done for us. But let us continue to pray for that that God would grant faith to our children. That He would open the ears and the eyes of our lost family members and friends. That He would add to our number uh, of those who are being saved. Because their salvation, like ours, is in His hands. But take heart. There is no better place for their salvation to be than in, their, than in his hands. Let's go to him now in prayer. Father, by your spirit and grace, would you allow us and enable us to receive the word, this word with faith and love, to lay it up in our hearts and to practice it in our lives for your glory and for our good, and for the sake of the Lord Jesus. I pray these things. Amen.